All right, I am excited. Thank you guys for leading us to kind of connect us with the Lord like that. And I'm excited to continue in that kind of worshipful spirit to dig into the Word of God together. So I, I will just say I'm feeling great about our decision to use this summer to dig into John 13 to 17. What we're doing here is we're, we're calling this series The Upper Room. John 13 to 17 is this, this period, um, this, this kind of pause in the book of John as the Gospels go on and Jesus is ministering and he's blessing and he's teaching and, and all of these things are happening with Jesus and his disciples. And then he pauses right before he dies for a meal with his disciples. And this meal was so important that John took five chapters out of his 21 chapter gospel to devote to what went on at this meal. What did Jesus talk about? And so I, man, I've been so blessed to just look at this week by week and to see all the amazing things Jesus is preparing them, teaching them, just showing them what does it look like for you? I'm about to leave. I'm about to go back to the Father. What does it look like for you to continue on and to do the things that I'm calling you and training you to do? It's so relevant for us because that's exactly the position that we find ourselves in. So we're going to continue on in that. So if you have your Bible, um, open it up to John chapter 16. So many amazing things we've seen so far. Um, this chapter is just phenomenal as Jesus opens up and now he talks to us about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so just to kind of like tag it back in, last week we talked John 15 and Jesus was preparing his disciples for persecution that was coming. They hated me, he says, and so they're also going to hate you. And so he's getting them ready for persecution is coming. It's going to get rough. And one of the last things he said in John chapter 15 about that coming persecution, he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. And so there's this promise that the helper, the Spirit, is coming. You have this task of bearing witness. The Spirit is going to bear witness. And also your job, you followers of mine, it's your job to bear witness. The Spirit is going to do it. And that's kind of how he leads us into this section where he's now going to talk about the Holy Spirit in more um, pronounced and uh, honestly kind of incredible ways. So just to, just to address it, man, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and those of you that are like, semi-charismatic background or like hallelujah. We're going to talk about the Spirit of God. This is going to be amazing. So let's hear your hoops and hollers as we go and everything Holy Spirit. Those of you that are like, uh, like me and grew up in that kind of like fundamentalist type background where it's like, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but just barely, you know, um, like let's stretch that. Okay. Let's stretch that because the Spirit of God wants to do so much more in our lives. And it does not have to look, um, you know, like I, Honestly, I don't think we have a clue what the Spirit of God in our lives looks like. I know we've had experiences, we've had tastes of it, we've seen what God's done in different people's lives, but I'm just telling you, if we look ahead and say, Spirit, where do you want to lead us? How do you want to work? I don't think we have a clue, and I kind of think if the Spirit is doing something and we're not surprised by it, then, then is it really the Spirit of God? He's going to surprise, He's going to empower, He's going to do things in us that just totally catch us off guard and surprise us, and it's beautiful. So, Let's look together at John chapter 16, some pretty incredible words that Jesus is going to say to his followers here. And uh, so let's start like in the middle of verse four here. We're kind of picking up in a new section. We'll read through verse seven. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send him to you. Okay, so Jesus is preparing the disciples. I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. And so there's that, like, that reminder. He's kind of present in this meal of, like, how great we finally get to pause and eat this meal. But Jesus keeps reminding them, I'm leaving. I'm going. And the disciples, he talked about this in chapter 14. Um, I'm, I'm going away. And the disciples are saying, like, where are you going, Lord? And he says, um, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm the way, the truth, the life. He's kind of trying to get them to follow him. And now he's saying, okay, I'm going away. And he says, look, I say I'm going away. And it makes you really sad, but don't worry. It's good for me to go away. These to me, I mean, this is like Jesus kind of like that, that pat on the head, like, don't worry, going away. Don't be sad. It's going to be fine. Can you, I mean, I've been trying to get myself in this mode this week to think about it, to pause and think what it would be like to live with Jesus for three years on this earth, okay? These disciples got the chance. I mean, they were fishing or they were collecting taxes. They were doing whatever they were doing. And Jesus comes up out of nowhere, totally bizarre. Come and follow me, right? And they see him do all these impossible things. Anything you could, like our daily lives in this world, right? are like so filled with like this roller coaster on our relationship with the Lord, right? There's times that we're like, man, I just, you know, I read the Bible. I felt so close to the Lord. Oh, I prayed and he answered my prayer. I feel so close to him. Followed by, man, my life is super apathetic. And Lord, I, I prayed that prayer and you never answered me. So we're on these roller coasters. But you have to imagine if you're one of the disciples and you're following Jesus around for three years, right? Maybe you get like a little roller coaster. It's like, oh, you know, like my faith is kind of, and then Jesus like feeds 5,000 people with a loaf of bread, right? That's going to make your faith come alive. And so just picturing what it's like to just follow Jesus around on this world. And these disciples, they've come to love him as a person. And they've come to see all that he can do as, as the impossible. And now Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm going to go. Um, and you're, you know, I can see that you're getting a little sad. I resonate with the disciples. I would be very sad to have Jesus tell me um, that he's leaving if I've had that experience to be with him. And then Jesus says something crazy, okay? And he says this, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. This is one of those times, okay, there's times where like, man, Scripture and I are in perfect agreement, you know? God says it, I believe it, it's what I would say anyways. This is one of those times that's a tough, like, faith moment for me, okay? Because Jesus says, it's better for you for me to be gone, to be with the Father, and for me to send the Spirit than it would be if I was right with you. That's hard for me to believe, if I'm just being totally honest. That's hard for me to believe. If we did like that blind taste test thing, okay, it's like, okay, nobody can see your answer. You're going to be anonymous here. Just kind of close your eyes and like, would you rather have Jesus sitting in the chair next to you and going around life with you all the time or have the Holy Spirit? Which would you choose? Any of you tells me you're choosing the Holy Spirit, I'm going to call you a liar, okay? <clears throat> because that's, that's hard. Who doesn't want Jesus, right? Like he's our companion. He's our friend. He can do miraculous things. Like it, it would be incredible to have Jesus there, right? So for me, it's these, this big faith moment of saying, okay, Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. I would choose you over the Spirit any day of the week. I really would. But I have to believe. You say that it's actually better. Am I willing to believe that it's actually better? And I, and I feel like there's almost a promise. As I think about how... Um, how, like, it's, it's like the Spirit's the consolation prize, almost, you know? Like, Jesus, oh, it would be amazing to have him. Okay, if I can't have you, I'd like to have the Spirit. If the Spirit feels to me like the consolation prize, I think then I need to kick myself into gear and say, okay, there is so much more of the Spirit that I have yet to experience, but I want to. But I want to experience that. This feels to me like one of these moments 
where Jesus just takes a left turn. Like it just, it just feels like out of the blue, God's doing something, he's building momentum, and he keeps taking these left turns where it's like, I, I wouldn't have expected the story to go that way. And so if you think of it like this, you think of um, go back to the garden and God created this perfect, beautiful place. Man, he's going to be with humanity and there's this beautiful thing, but then humanity sins. But right from the start, God's saying, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to heal. I'm going to restore. I'm going to get you on the right track. So we know, okay, God's going to do something great. There's this, this plot line of redemption that's going to happen. But think of how, uh, how full of left turns God's path is to get us to that redemption. He comes and he calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make a nation of you. But before that happens, Abraham has some children. They're getting numerous. And then they're enslaved for 400 years. And God comes to the enslaved nation instead of the powerful nations and says, it's through you that I'm going to do this thing. And he sends his law through Moses and everything. And there's these underdog, this underdog feel. It's the left turn. God's not going directly to like his conquering healing plan. It's all these left turns. He goes, when, he's try- when it's time to get a, a king, a model king for his nation, he chooses David ultimately. The shepherd, the youngest, the one that, that his father didn't even bring him out to line him up because he's like, okay, it certainly wouldn't be David. But God takes the left turn. No, it's going to be David. He's the model that we're going to follow after. He's the one that is going to show, ultimately be like this picture of Jesus as he comes down um, to earth. Then the left turn looks like um, Jesus, God, coming to earth, sending his son, coming, emptying himself, right? In humility, in the little uh, manger, the little baby in the manger. This is God's left turn. He's not coming in power time and time again. He's coming in all these weird, unexpected ways. He's coming in ways where there's a whole strong religious uh, leader movement happening, and none of them can recognize that Jesus is the one coming in to do what God's calling us to do. And so it's just full of these left turns. And to me, this is the left turn of left turns. Jesus has come. He's proven his power. He's, he's, he's taught the ways of the kingdom of God. And he is literally about to conquer death. And yet here he is. And he's saying, I'm going to continue working my plan of redemption in this world. But wait for the left turn. I'm going to do it through you instead of through me. I'm going back to the Father and you're going to do it. And I'm going to give you the spirit to help you do it. And to me, man, I need a heavy dose of faith to believe. Okay, this is better. Because I think of it, when I think God's saying he's going to work through us, okay, I look at myself mainly, and I also look at all of us, and I think, you know, we're not exactly the A-team here, right? You know, like we're, we're awesome, we're pretty good or whatever, but if God is going to change the world, why? Why us? Why would he use us? And Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, think about yourselves. There's not many that are wise, not many that are powerful, right? We're kind of like, why would God do it through us? Why wouldn't he call the big people? Why wouldn't he do it himself? But I think the reality is that if we look at what God wants to do in this world, he wants to do it through people who are weak. He wants to do it through people who have to be dependent on him. And and bottom line, he chose to do it this way. So if we picture... What does God want to do? If I ask the question, what does God want to do in Rockland and Roseville and Lincoln and Loomis? Like, what is God wanting to do? God could uh, move. Like, he could do something powerful, right? He could do some big display of his power. He could just get everybody, like, in an instant seeing who he is. God could do it that way. But I know for a fact, I know from this passage, that's not what God wants to do in this area. That's not quite how God wants to do it. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. What he wants to do is he wants to take us. Weak people like us, right? People that, that are faithful at times and unfaithful at other times. People that really believe God sometimes and other times it's a real struggle for us. He wants to take us and he wants to empower us with his spirit and he wants to send us in the midst of the world to bring transformation and healing and change. 
it's better. It's to our advantage that he goes and sits at the right hand of the Father and sends the Spirit, that it's better for us to have the Spirit of God empowering us. So just a little, like, um, Holy Spirit 101, because I think sometimes as Christians, we, uh, we either take it for granted or we talk right past it. What he's talking about is, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is one member of the Trinity, okay? And the Trinity is, it's the, it's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit, and they're three and they're one. And I've tried explaining this to my daughters, you know, after, after getting like a theology degree and everything, you try to explain it to your kids, and you're like, this is going to be great. And you just realize, oh, I have no idea what the Trinity is about, you know? <laughs> We don't know. And you've heard people explain it, but they don't know. The, the, the Trinity is God, and he's one, but he's many, right? And, and that's maybe about all we can say. And we can talk about how he's like an egg, but he's also not like an egg. And he's like the three states of water, but he's also not like the three states of water. We don't really know, but the Spirit of God is a member of the Trinity, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's a he. He's a, he's a person, all right? He is not an impersonal force, but he's a person. He's God coming to dwell with and be with us. And the wonder of this whole thing is, man, the Spirit of God is working and moving throughout the whole Old Testament. We see him all throughout. But the wonder of the New Testament comes kind of in this moment here, where Jesus talks about how his Spirit, he's going to send his Spirit to live inside of his people. There's hints of it in the prophets, hints of the Spirit coming to live. But here Jesus is saying, I'm going to send him. He's going to be with you. He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to convict the world. He's going to explain all this stuff. But this is the moment where the Spirit of God takes this active role in what God is wanting to do in this world. One really powerful way to look at what the Spirit does is if you go back to the first page of the Bible, you see um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see immediately after that, who is there working in the process of God creating the heavens and the earth? Who is there? It's the Spirit of God. And he's hovering over the face of the waters. There's all this just chaos and nothing. And here's the Spirit of God just hovering. And now God's going to do this creative work. And the Spirit of God has this role in creation and making everything that is. And now here we see God is going to do this act of new creation again. There's everything is broken in this world. Everything is off. And God is going to create his church. He's going to create his people. He's going to create his kingdom. And in the midst of that, here we see, here's the spirit, you know, as if hovering over his people, ready for this creation that's going to come, ready for this new thing that's going to spring up. And man, it's Jesus is saying, I think when he says, it's to your advantage that I go away, I feel like he's saying, okay, watch this now. I've been here. It's been amazing. You guys, you know, we have this understanding. You've been following me, but it's about to get really good now because watch this new thing that I'm going to create, and it's the Spirit of God that's watching over that. So what will that look like? And he, here's the big question. What does that look like? What does it look like for the Spirit of God to be working in the world and, and being doing this, this uh, work of creation? He gives us a couple things. So the first thing is in uh, verse 8, verses 8 through 11 here. Here's what the Spirit will do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So this is, this is tricky a little bit, okay? I mean, it, on one hand, it's simple. It's just three things that he says the Spirit's going to do. It's a little tricky to get out exactly what's happening here. But I think Jesus kind of defines it as he goes. So, He's going to come, and he's going to force the world, I think, to uh, make a decision about Jesus, to come to terms with Jesus. Because what happens, Jesus is about to die. Everyone's watching it, and everyone's kind of interpreting it in a different way. Like, okay, that was strange and not what we expected. They're interpreting it. 
Jesus rises from the dead, right? And there's, so there's all this that's happening, but you can see that people don't have a clear understanding of what really just happened with Jesus. Like we saw it, we experienced it, we read the headlines about it, but what was it that we actually just experienced? And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send my spirit to push people to come to terms with Jesus, to come to terms with me, to wrestle with me, to make a decision on how do I explain what just happened? One way to look at this is you think of, um, he says, he's going to convict the world of their sin. So the world came, and they saw Jesus, and ultimately it was the Roman government, the political powers of the time, and it was the uh, Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the time, coming together and saying, we don't like Jesus, let's crucify him, let's put him to death so we can move past this Jesus movement and everything he's doing. So the world had kind of passed their judgment. They didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was. And so Jesus says the Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. And so he's saying, look, they've passed their judgment. They've done this thing. They didn't believe that I was who I said I was. But the Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict. And what's interesting about that is then you turn a little bit ahead to uh, Acts chapter 2. And God sends the Holy Spirit, and he comes with like, like tongues of fire on their heads. The Spirit's there. They go and they proclaim. They talk about Jesus. And what do you find the people saying? It says in Acts 2.37, it says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So they're cut to the heart. They're convicted. And it's the Spirit of God coming, and people hear, and they say, okay, whoa, we blew it with Jesus. What do we have to do to this? This is what the Spirit does. He's convicting them of their sin, of their unbelief. And the second thing um, that he's convicting them of is righteousness. And he explains that as, in verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you'll see me no longer. So I think the sin, he's saying, is about the world, right? Because they don't believe in me. But the righteousness, I think he's saying, is about him, because he's going to the Father. So what does it mean? It means the world's verdict was Jesus is uh, a criminal, like he's put to death. And he's saying, it's almost like the Spirit's going to come and vindicate me. The Spirit's going to come and show, okay, I was in the right in this. I am righteous. I have gone up to the Father. And so the Spirit is going to affirm who Jesus actually says he is. And so they've cast their verdict, but he's saying, nope, that's the wrong one. Look at me again. Look at me more closely. And then finally, concerning judgment in verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I think here he's saying the Spirit of God is going to come. He's going to bring this conviction in their hearts so that they can see, okay, Judgment is like according to what God decides, like when, when uh, Jesus has died, but then he's raised again. It's saying God is pronouncing through the resurrection of Jesus, God's pronouncing his judgment that yes, Jesus was righteous. Yes, this is how the world ends with Jesus reigning and all those that stand against him and all those that try to bring terror and evil and everything on this earth, they're going to be judged. The ruler of this world is judged. So I think what he's saying is when I go, Everyone's going to have to wrestle with what just happened. What did we just experience? What did we just hear about Jesus? What did we just see about Jesus? And he says the Spirit is going to come into that situation, and he's going to work in these hearts and force people to come to terms with Jesus, to see that, man, I, I, I didn't believe him, but, man, I, I need to come to terms. I need to wrestle with. I need to believe that he is who he says he is. Um, he is ultimately righteous, and he's up there with the Father. And, yes, judgment is real, and it's according to God's design, not according to human opinions. I think that's what he's saying. And when I step back, kind of pulling back out, zooming back out from those details then, what I think Jesus is saying is, okay, I'm sending my spirit. It's better for him to be there because what's going to happen is there is something that God wants to do working in the world around them. I think of my, myself, I think of the spirit of God, and I often think of my own personal connection to the spirit. 
So I think of times that I'm reading the Bible. I think of times when I'm praying and you just feel like the spirit there, right? Or we're worshiping, we're singing songs in this room. It's like, I feel the spirit of God. And I think of the spirit as this, um, this person that comes and lifts my spirit and encourages me and guides me. And all that is true. But I think if you step back and look at what's Jesus saying here, I think he's saying there's something that I want to do in the world to those that are kind of outside, those who haven't come to terms with me yet. There's something that I want to do, and I'm sending the Spirit to you so that I can do something in the lives of the people out there. I think it's like an outward-facing reality. As the Spirit's coming, he's going to bear witness about me, and so there's something that God wants to say to the world around us. And, and it, I mean, the terms are a little rough, but I mean, think of the times, like, for all of us here, whether you've been a Christian your entire life or whether you've um, recently, you know, lived a lot of years and recently came to him, what was it like when you actually had that moment where you came to terms with Jesus? So for me, I mean, it was Christian home, Christian school, um, church, like mom leading the choir, everything, right? But there was a time when I was in my teen years where I just felt this um, sense that, man, it's actually real. And that, yeah, I'm a good kid, but that good kid, kidness is not the path ultimately to God, like I have to wrestle with the fact that I need him, that I'm sinful without him, that I can't make it on my own. And so there was this conviction that came that helped me see Jesus truly for the first time. And I would say that's got to be true for all of us, ultimately. It looks different, different flavors. I mean, some of you have had really hard, really dramatic past and had this encounter with Jesus that was like hitting a brick wall, but then there's life that comes in that. I think the Spirit is all about convicting us, opening ourselves up from the inside, shining a light on the inner parts of us and shining that light on Jesus and connecting us there. So I think that's one thing, right? Is the, the um, conviction, it's the, the idea that we're having to come to terms with Jesus and who he says he is for the sake of the world so that we can call people into that. But then he kind of turns a little bit. And the other thing that the Spirit does is in verses 12 to 15, and it's more about a guidance, a speaking to us. And I think this is so important. So in verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? We've already seen there's that conviction of the world, that drawing people into an encounter with Jesus, right? But what is the Spirit going to do? Now he's saying, okay, look, I'm here with you. This is Jesus, right? He's been teaching them. I'm here with you. I'm telling you a whole lot. Five chapters worth here. I'm telling you a lot, but I can't say everything to you right now. There's more things that I want to say to you, but I've got to go, and also you can't bear it now. So he's saying, I'm sending the Spirit because what he's going to do is he's going to continue to speak to you. He's going to take the things that are mine, he's going to reveal them to you. He's going to um, lead you, guide you into all of the truth. And so when we think of the Spirit, there is that conviction side where he's going to call people to Jesus, but there's also that ongoing side where Jesus said, I started to teach you, now I'm giving you the Spirit because he's going to continue to teach you. And so the question I have to ask myself then is, what has the Spirit of God taught me lately? How, how have I been hearing him speak? Because I think, I think this is God, this is Jesus telling me that the Spirit of God is sent to me to speak to me. So how is he speaking to me? How am I hearing him speak? If I'm not hearing, I don't necessarily think it's because he's not speaking to me. I think it's because I need to learn to listen and I need to watch for how he's going to guide, for how he's going to speak, for how he's going to move, how he's going to lead me. 
I think the important thing is Jesus is continuing to speak to us, and he does it through the Spirit. One thing that I think is really fascinating to think about here is, who is Jesus sitting here talking to? So think of who's like around this table with him. There's Matthew, um, there's John, there's Peter, right? These are all people that are going to sit down later and write books of the New Testament. These are going to be key players in writing down the New Testament that we have. So Jesus is looking at people like John, whose gospel we're reading out of, and saying, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, the Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. I'm going to give you the Spirit. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to take the things that are mine, and he's going to um, reveal them to you. I think it's a promise from Jesus that he's going to speak to those New Testament writers, and they're going to write down the words of God, the Spirit of God moving through that process, giving us ultimately the New Testament, and then I think the whole canon of Scripture to say, these are my words. He's going to make sure that he guides you into all the truth. I think this is a statement ultimately about um, the canon of Scripture and how much we can trust that God was speaking to it. That, so not just that he spoke when he wrote it down, but that he continues to speak through these words. I think he was guiding and shepherding that process for us. I think it's part of how he continues to speak to us. As we continue to read these words, we can hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us. Um, but I think, it, I think it also goes a little bit beyond that. And I don't think it means, you know, he gives us other books of the Bible to write down. You know, I don't think that it means that we're just like, okay, well, read the Bible, great book, really thrilling. Okay, now let's find out what else God has to say to me. I think it all is about we step out. Jesus has more things he wants to say to us. There's always more to learn about Jesus. And so we pay attention to the words that he speaks in Scripture, right? But then we step out into the details of our everyday life, and we continue to listen. And I think he's saying the Spirit will continue to guide us into truth. So as we step into a situation that we've never experienced before, we have the Spirit of God continuing to speak to us, continuing to guide us, continuing to take the words that he's already spoken, and even words that, are, that he speaks that are new, and he's going to guide us into the things that we encounter every day of our lives. One helpful way for me to think about this is um, to think about the Reformation, Okay. So the Reformation was like, um, I don't know, early 1500s. And uh, you have, at the time, the Catholic Church was like literally selling like indulgences. You could, you could pay to have your sins forgiven so that you wouldn't have to go to purgatory. You could go to heaven. Like that was kind of the theology of the Catholic Church at the time. And God sends someone like Martin Luther to come in and say, like, come back to the words of God, right? I believe empowered by the Spirit, come back to the words of God and to see, okay, I want to understand the things that Jesus really said, not just what I assume Jesus said. And so he's brought back, and there's this process of reform, of saying, no, that wasn't right. We need to get back closer to what God actually said. And that was the Reformation. It was Martin Luther and a bunch of other people, the Reformation. But what came out of that was not just a, okay, good, we fixed it, now we're set. What came out of that, they had this motto of saying, we are reformed and always reforming. Meaning that like, we've, yes, we've got back, we've reformed our understanding, we've come back closer to Scripture, but also all the time we have to be reforming. We have to come back closer and closer and closer to what God has said. And I believe the Spirit is promising to kind of superintend that process for us, to keep an eye on it, to say, okay, Lord, we want to always, every day of our lives, we want to understand you and know you and get closer to you than we ever have before. And I believe these words are saying the Spirit of God is going to guide us into that truth, that he's going to take the things of God and reveal it to us so that when we come back to the Word of God and we look at what's happening around us in our, in our churches, in our society, in our families, all of it, when we ask the question, okay, Lord, is it, like, are we doing what you've called us to? Are we understanding it properly? I believe he's saying the Spirit of God speaks to us, and he reveals to us, and he guides us into all of that. 
So one way I have of, of thinking about this that's helpful for me is I have a friend that uh, he was, uh, he was uh, called in to like help with a church, like kind of as like a consulting type of a thing. And so this church had started really small, a church in Southern California, started really small, and they were really good at discipleship. So they were getting people like engaged in the scripture and each other's lives in, in accountability and growth and all that kind of stuff. So discipleship was happening. Um, but what happened is they did it so well that a lot of people wanted to be part of it, and the church grew, Right. And they kept doing the same things, the same things that made for discipleship great on that small level. But as they got bigger, it made so that it wasn't working as well. Like discipleship wasn't happening as well. They were doing the same stuff. And so my friend came in and part of what he was advising them on was, hey, do things differently so that you can have the same discipleship results. Your situation has changed, but your goal is the same. And I feel like that's, that's the kind of always reforming call is to say, we want to do, like, things that helped people 300 years ago connect to the Lord might help us today, or they might not. And we have to wrestle with saying, okay, how, how do we get closer to the Lord? How do we understand his scripture? How do we look at the different situations? I have another, um, another example that, um, I don't know, might be more controversial, but it's helpful to me. Um, so I have a friend that I used to teach with. His name is Preston Sprinkle, and um, he He's like a New Testament scholar, and he, like, God kind of just put on his heart. He wanted to dig into, um, like, LGBT questions, like, so many questions these days, right? And so he's, he's, he is, like, a New Testament scholar. He's committed to understanding the Word of God, and he had when he started and has still today a conservative sexual ethic, okay? And so he, he comes into it, but he's asking the question, and he's trying to be this, like, reformed and always reforming uh, voice of saying, Lord, what, like, have we just made assumptions about what you say about human sexuality, about homosexuality, about things like this? Have we misunderstood it or have we made assumptions or are we standing exactly where we ought to be? And his conclusion was, so he's praying, Spirit of God guide me and he's praying, but he's digging back further and further and further into the text of scripture, trying to understand what did God say? What was the context? Are we understanding this appropriately so we can apply it in our daily lives? And so he, he landed basically in the same spot, but what he found is, um, he says, I believe that we basically have a bunch of um, homophobic, misogynistic terminology or attitudes around these kind of core doctrines. So not that, not that we change what's right or what's wrong, right? We see what the Bible's saying, but there's some ways that we've held ourselves. There's ways that we've looked in judgment on other people. There's way, and, and so for him, it's a matter of let's strip back all the things that we've added, right? Let's strip back all the baggage. Let's ask the Spirit of God, okay, Lord, we want to come to your truth. We want to know it. We want to humble ourselves and say we don't know everything, and we don't want to assume that the way I've been holding myself in this world is exactly the same way moving forward. And I think that is what the Spirit of God is promising to do, that we're going to have real hard decisions to make in everyday life. As we step out, as we, if, if, if this truth means anything to us, we're going to carry it into our daily lives. And as we do that, we want to be asking the Spirit, speak to me, guide me, help your word come alive to me, make it real in my life, help me to know what to say or do in this situation. Help me to know how to, how to represent you well as I talk to my family, as I talk to my um, church gospel community group. Help me as I, um, as I try to talk to my neighbors. Like, Lord, represent yourself well in my understanding of you and in my connection to you. And I think, I think that's the promise. I think the Spirit of God is saying that he's going, like Jesus is saying, my Spirit's going to be there and he's going to guide you into all this. He's going to walk you through this process. He's going to take you where you need to go. I think this is really important because I think that there's a lot of changes happening in the church these days, like in a, in a capital C, big picture church, like American church sort of a way. There's a lot of uh, changes that are happening. Some of it's like COVID season has changed a lot, but some of it's been in like a generational thing. 
and I see a movement that says, okay, younger generations have a different way of connecting with God, and they don't like the ways we've been talking about God. Um, and so, so we need to change our churches so that we can make it appealing to the next generations. Now, I hear that, and there's a side of me that completely agrees, right? Because if you were to go to, like, my grandparents' church, okay, like 30 years ago when I was sitting there with them, um, it, it's different. It's, it's very different, okay? They still read the Bible. They believed it, but it was very different. And I think that some of our ways of engaging with the Lord speak more directly to me. Um, but here's what I can tell you I never want to do. I never want to be that person that says, oh, man, we're missing the next generation. Let's, let's change what we preach. Let's, let's, like, we can't just do these Bible-based sermons anymore. We need to kind of get in with trends, and we need to make it so that we're not teaching the Word of God and whatever— like, that's not the answer. And I feel like I can say that so confidently because I think what is being promised in this passage is Jesus saying, I want to con- continue speaking. I have more things I want to say, more things I want to do. So I'm sending my spirit. And what my spirit is going to do is he is going to convict the world of all their sin and everything else. And he's going to call them, invite them back into a relationship with me. And I'm going to, the spirit of God is going to guide people into all the truth. And so what I feel like we have a firm foundation on is saying, okay, we want to stick to what the Spirit of God says. We, and I think that's recorded in Scripture, and I think God speaks in and through that still. So we want to stick close to this, and I believe, man, it's God's job to convict the hearts of our generation and my parents' generation, my grandparents, and the younger generations. It's God's job. He, the Spirit is going to convict, right? But we speak these words, we draw closer to them, but we do it in conjunction with the Spirit who's going to guide us into all truth. And so I think there's that reformed, reforming thing of always there's things that can change, right? Do we sing four songs or five songs? You know, do we stand up or sit down? Do we have the lights dimmed or do we have the lights on? Like all, all that stuff can change. Who cares, right? Um, what do we call our small groups as we meet? You know, how do we function? There's all these things that can change and should be reforming. But I think the key here is there's an invitation for us to get always and always and always closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I think what Jesus is saying is ultimately this. I've been with you, and uh, I'm leaving, and that's going to be hard for you. But I'm telling you that as I go, it is better for you. And so what I want us to hear, I want us to kind of picture for a minute Jesus saying these words to us. We're hearing Jesus say to us, okay, so here we are. We love Jesus. We want to do what he's calling us to. Imagine us sitting around that table with Jesus, and he's saying, I'm going. Man, I've taught you so much, but there's so much more that I want to say. I'm going to go, and I'm going to a a better spot. I'm going to the right hand of the Father. It's a place where I have power. It's a place where I can advocate on your behalf and intercede for you as this merciful high priest. So Jesus is saying, I'm going, and he's looking to us, and we're sitting around this meal with him, and he's saying, it's better because I'm sending my spirit into you. I'm sending my spirit into you, and you have this mission to the world, but don't worry, the spirit is going to go, and he's going to convict them all of, of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to convict. He's going to invite in. He's going to do that, and he's going to continually guide you into all truth. And I think Jesus is all about, man, there, the, he is showing us something deeply true about God. And we have these words about Jesus. We have these words that are all based on his teaching. But we're going to spend the rest of our lives understanding more and more fully what these words mean. We, we just are. Like, if you, if you say, if you think you've got it down, that your theology is set, that nothing will ever change, I'm telling you that that's not it. The Spirit of God continues to guide us, to reveal, to open it further and further, and we spend our lives doing that, not just in academic settings, but in our daily lives as we go and we look at a world that so desperately needs Jesus. Just as we so desperately need Jesus, he's going to speak. The Spirit will guide. The Spirit will lead. The Spirit will speak. 
And man, he, it is better. It's better. Think of what you could do with Jesus walking physically beside you and hear Jesus saying, it's better that I've given you my spirit because he's going to empower you. He's going to work from the inside out. He's going to work to transform. I want to end with uh, this analogy. So I've been reading, reading um, this book to my girls. It's called A Hundred Cupboards, and uh, the author is N.D. Wilson, and I love it. But he uses this, um, this illustration, this, like, this metaphor of like a, a dandelion, okay? And so you picture a dandelion, and um, like you, they're, they're delightful things. You definitely don't want it in your yard, but they're like lovely, you know? And so if you picture we're in a grass field here, okay, and I've got a dandelion, and I blow on it, right? I destroy the dandelion. The whole thing comes apart, right? And all the little dandelion things fly out, and then what do they do? They go and they die, right? They fall into the ground. And, uh, but then what happens is they take root, and they become their own dandelions, right? And they grow up. And each one of those, when they're blown, right, they go and they spread and they die, and they fall into the ground, and they become more. And this image for me, I feel like helps to make some sense of what Jesus is talking about here. He's been on earth. It's been amazing. Man, he is Jesus. He is the, the presence of God in their midst. He is God with us in the most profound sense. He's, he's prophesied to be God with us, and that is him. But there he is like a dandelion. He offers himself, right? And he dies, and he's buried, right? But where, how does he come alive again? It's by sending the Spirit, who is God with us in yet another deep sense, right? God with us once again. And instead of being this one dandelion that's here, right, it's spread into hundreds, which spreads into thousands, which spreads into millions. And I just, I love that picture. Jesus standing on earth was phenomenal, amazing, life-changing, earth-changing, history-changing, right? But then Jesus laying himself down and spreading himself and coming alive in each of us, all around Rockland, Roseville, Loomis, Lincoln, all around America, all around the world, all throughout history, right, is planting himself and being reborn as the Spirit of God makes us alive and works in us. And that is something I get excited about. It's, it, as I said, it's not an ex a reality that I feel like I've experienced to the fullest. I don't think I've experienced it quite the way that God promises, but that is what I want. And I think I can believe in faith. Okay, Lord, it is better. Would you do it? Would you show me how it's better? Would you plant each of us so that we can come alive in you and be something of your presence to the people around us to convict and to guide? So let's pray that God would make that a reality, and we're going to sing a little bit more too. Lord, thank you so much that we have your word to guide us. Thank you that we have your spirit that is our teacher, our helper, our guide. Lord, I just confess how, um, how little of this I feel like I've experienced. And Lord, I just, I want to offer myself to you. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Um, I know that I have your spirit. I know that you are in me. I know that you're working. But I pray, Lord, more and more, would you help me to surrender? Would you help me to seek um, and ask. Lord, I pray that you would empower me even at times when I don't feel capable, when I don't feel um, like the one that you should work through. Lord, I just thank you that you invite us into this. And Lord, it's crazy and it's unknown, but Lord, I just know there's so much that you want to do in my life. There's so much that you want to do in this church family. There's so much you want to do in this region and around the world, Lord. And I just thank you for this reminder Lord, whatever I think about myself, whatever I see as my inadequacies, I thank you, Lord, that you look past that and that you empower past that. And Lord, may our lives be changed. May our area be changed. Lord, as, as you just look to the things that you want to say, that you want to do, the ways that you want to convict, 
Would you do the calling? Would you do the leading? Would you do the empowering? Lord, we're just so thankful that you are who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.